As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our winter transfer window roundup. There's been no shortage of spending at Chelsea where Todd Bowley rolled up in his Benzo and splashed the cash on Enzo. Bayern Munich have fully embraced Cancelo culture. Jorginho pulled a Willian and swapped blue for red in London. And Nottingham Forest signed Kayla Neves while Matt Doherty goes to Atletico Madrid. Go home, transfer window. You are drunk. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man living in a Marcel Sabbath. It's a wonderland, Taylor Rockwell. It's frightening to feel like Manchester United are quietly competent these days. I'm not used to this. This feels like a transfer that never would have happened in the past, and I am pretty stoked mm. that it has happened now. It, it just makes me think of the Simpsons um, when Homer's working at his station and Lenny's in the door saying, be quiet, he's about to do something stupid. <laughs> but they United. did something smart this time. It's the opposite. It's like he it's didn't coming. lead to a nuclear meltdown, nuclear meltdown. Uh, he instead <laughs> did his job properly and did it for value. He did indeed. More on that very shortly. Joining us, Taylor, a man who is useless garbage and a pathetic MLS propagandist. <laughs> Joe Lowry, hello. <laughs> Ryan, I'm glad uh, you're up to date on your Twitter feed. I'm glad everybody's seeing this stuff. I mean, uh, who are we to argue with that? I'm not going to argue with any of that. I, I've been waiting on that. my I've been waiting on my MLS <laughs> check for for actually quite some time now. But they keep saying it's coming, so you know I'm I'm going to assume that, that that person on Twitter is right. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's quite harsh, useless garbage. I mean, you could be useful garbage like I am. That, that's my preference too. I try yeah. I try to be useful garbage at times, but I mean it doesn't always come off, and I I get that. No, Ryan, you just buy and eat useful garbage. That's all. Oh, I miss you, Bojangles, so much. So much. (laughs) You'll be with me again soon, Bojangles. Anyway, rounding out our pack, guys. A man who loves a window, except for the ones in his neighborhood that are subject to repeated break-ins. Graham Muffin, hello. (laughs) Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, the transfer window is closed, and hopefully the window of burglaries in my local neighborhood has also closed because it has been, I reckon, about three days since the last break-in, so let's hope that, that the vigilante... What was the name of the vigilante group again? Vigilante Justice, or, or Justice Vigilante. Vigilante, yeah, Vigilante Justice. Vigilante Justice. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Maybe they'll be put in cold storage for a while now. If you go and pronounce it like that around your way, Graham, I imagine there'll be a little less justice. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad things are uh, calming down in your neighbourhood, Graham, and things have calmed down in the transfer window, being that it is slammed shut. Why don't we start off uh, with the, well, let's call it the headline of the window, Chelsea and Enzo Fernandez coming to Chelsea on the final day of the window for the British transfer record of €120 million, €106 million, about $130 million, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Benfica uh, are paying River Plate a 25% sell-on clause for that, so multiple clubs benefiting from this deal. Uh, The negotiations centering around payment structures that would satisfy FFP rules. Amortisation, baby! Woo! Let's talk about that a little bit more today. 
Uh, and Taylor, it appears that Chelsea have spent more in the January window than all of La Liga, Liga, Bundesliga and Serie A combined. All I can say, Taylor, is finally they've got some desperately needed midfield cover. <laughs> yes, well, one in, one out, uh, while four other attackers arrived at the same time. It's been a weird January. Uh, yeah, multiple hundreds of millions of euros spent. Uh, their overall expenditure is over 500 million euros since Clearwater Capital took over. And th- this one is really, really interesting because on the surface, the Enzo Fernandez deal feels like, so you all refused to meet the buyout clause negotiated for months and then many hours on deadline day <laughs> and then paid over the buyout clause. Uh, and it, that is true. But I think a large part of that is is the installment plan you mentioned, Ryan, that only hits them for, I think, $40 million up front. Then it's six installments uh, with Fernandez signing an eight-year deal. Again, yeah, you get that uh, amortization. <laughs> so it is a much smaller hit to their FFP standing. Uh, I think UEFA <sighs> is going to change that rule. I think this summer they will change it uh, because teams are abusing it so much. But for now, it basically lets Chelsea uh, stay more or less compliant. And the sale of Jorginho, I think, does that as well. So... In that way, I think it will end up being like a smart deal from the financial standpoint. It won't hit them as dramatically. But it is really odd to me that, by all accounts, what they needed in the window was midfield depth and then another right-back option. And they got a midfielder, which is great, but they also lost a midfielder. So sort of where they were while adding a ton of other attackers. I, I really do wonder what that first training session is going to be like, how awkward it will be when you have 45 players show up for first team training and no one is entirely sure who goes where. So I have a, I have a question for Graham or for anyone. I, just, I feel like this is a Graham question, though. I'm not entirely sure. So am I correct? Because I'm still a little fuzzy. I'm guessing as a lot of listeners are about the the financials and really about FFP because it still feels like a complete sham given that Chelsea can come out and spend literally more than an entire league and do it in a way that that they can be compliant with UEFA. But Graham, am I correct in thinking, yes, Taylor, to your point, this makes sense for now. And Chelsea, yeah, to their credit, they, they worked within the rules, at least as much as we know, to register all of these players. But Graham, am I correct in saying... Like they're almost doing a Barcelona here and and limiting their future financial flexibility with, I mean, as long as these players are in their squad, right? Mudrik and Enzo Fernandez and all the other players, they spent a lot of money on both for fees, which are going to be amortized over a period of time and also for salaries. Yes, they have, I guess they use their flexibility now, but did they handicap themselves in the future? I think so. Essentially, they are, to a certain extent, mortgaging their future. Okay. And the amortization does make sense to to a certain degree. So the way FFP works, it means that Chelsea can... They can essentially on their books for each for the, the next however many years, eight years of, of, uh, of Fernandez's contract, it, they're going to only put down, you know, 20 million euro chunks for each season, which essentially is the outlay for, for that season. That's how they're getting around it. So it makes sense from the transfer fee point of view. From the the salary and contract point of view, that is surely where it's going to limit Chelsea. I mean, look, this this maybe works out and Enzo Fernandez is the best midfielder in the world and he's worth that transfer fee and he's worth his wage. And actually Chelsea, on the flip side, could end up coming out bet, um, benefiting from that because essentially they've tied down a player for a, long, for a long time on a contract. They're not going to have to renew him for a long time. But if he if he doesn't live up to that expectation, they've just handed Enzo Fernandez a contract. He's twenty two years old right now. They've just handed him a contract until he's after until he's older than thirty, until he's thirty years old, which seems insane. But I was reading apparently this is something that is very common in baseball, which is where Todd Bowley's background is. Apparently they hand they hand contracts, fifteen year contracts to players quite often. So maybe this is uh, we learned very quickly when. Todd Bowley went to Inter Milan and tried to get three players for Romel Lukaku that he is open to trying some new things. Maybe he's borrowing some American <laughs> sports ideas here. Well, yeah, but part of it is also right that the idea is that you can sell Enzo Fernandez at some point. Sure. You're still going to have to pay those transfer fees in the installments. But then when you sell that player, let's say it's for $60 million a few years from now. Then you can put that on your books immediately as $60 million in profit. You can still write off some of those losses and you don't have to pay the salary anymore. So now you're looking at smaller amounts in terms of a financial hit. The issue that I think Graham is getting at becomes those players don't have to agree to a transfer. And if you've got an eight-year <laughs> deal paying you a ton of money every single week, you might not want to leave. And I think that's how you get Mariano Diaz still at Real Madrid. Uh, the same thing happens with Barcelona and, and <laughs> oh, several other clubs. still there. 
Of course he is. He's still there, but Rafael Varane and Casemiro are gone. So too is Isco. Uh, it's an it's a weird world. But but I think that is probably what they're trying to do is recognizing that an eight-year deal doesn't really mean anything because Enzo Fernandez signed a five-year deal or whatever it was with Benfica last year, and now here we are. So you, you can get these moves that I think is what they're looking towards as that will allow us to co- sort of balance the books again or make sure we stay financially uh, FFB compliant. COVID, uh, like the in, like the involvement of COVID into the finances and the sort of relaxed guidelines there is also playing a part. And ultimately, what we've learned about FFP from uh, from PSG and from Man City is that you can just can kind of contest it and pay the fine and move on with your life. Maybe you'll get a transfer ban, but that seems somewhat unlikely. It doesn't seem like you're going to get kicked out of Europe. So I think there's an element here of we're going to kind of. See what happens long term. We'll be able to sell some of these guys. And worst case scenario is we get a slap on the wrist. I'm, I, that seems to be the way they're operating. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit because yeah. maybe they're thinking that things operate like North American sports where you can kind of get around some of those deals. And another thing is while the length of the contracts and the size of the fee has taken this to a new level, this is nothing new. Clubs have been paying transfer fees and installments and amortization. Amorti- I can't say that word. I know, it's such a weird word. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing that thing with yeah. transfer fees for, for a long time. So Manchester United at the moment, I think, still owe around £300 million to other clubs. The The difference here is Chelsea are handing players seven and eight-year contracts and the transfer fees are absolutely giant. So they're tying themselves into spreading that over a longer period of time and bigger chunks. But yeah. the concept of it is is nothing unfamiliar but to, this to is, soccer. This is, that's true, Graham, but this is a much higher stakes, riskier version of that oh, yeah. concept, isn't it? You're paying someone for eight years. Let's say, I mean, he costs 120 million euros. Let's say he goes after four years. They're going to be underwater on that deal, not just on the contract side of things, but in terms of the sale as well. So they're going to keep paying for that player for another four years or have to pay a lump sum, which will affect their FFP as well. So it's yeah. it's not without its issues. It's not like they've, just, they've, they've got a life hack here, is it? No, <laughs> no, it's not like they have found a loophole without any consequences. There could be grave consequences on the other end of these deals, particularly when they've done this with, what, four players now? So Mudrick's deal is structured in the same way. Who was the other? Is it not defenders? all of them? I think all of them have at least six-year deals. Every single player they've signed yeah. in this window, I think, is at least six, if not eight. Was Baddy a shield as well? Was he a seven-year deal or something like that? But yeah, they've done it with a, a, a good number of players, which, as we've already talked about, once we get six, seven years down the line, you're counting on all of those players being successful and even the best-run clubs in the world, their hit rate is not going to be 100%. So there's going to be one or two players there that they're going to be in trouble with. Until you swap them for another player and inflate that player's value, and then you can mark it off as a seventy million pound uh, transfer fee, and then you've made seventy million and you're good to go, and then Juve get docked fifteen points. Yeah, this is how you end up paying two hundred million pounds for James Madison two years from now. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like everything's going to work out great. So well done, Chelsea! Uh, an excellent window of spending. Uh, they have, as you mentioned, Taylor offloaded a midfielder to mm-hmm. Arsenal Football Club, uh, Jorginho, going across London. What do we? What do we make of this one? It feels like a good deal for Arsenal. It it does. I mean, the only reason why I have a slight red flag about it is because they were going for Moses Caicedo of Brighton. They didn't get him, so they thought, Jorginho, that's the same midfielder. It's not the same midfielder. But he is really, really good. And I I think he's one who gets dismissed at times by Chelsea fans and and by neutrals and pundits alike. Uh, He is not particularly quick. And I think uh, between that, the lack of physicality, I think sometimes he gets knocked for that unfairly. But he's very smart. He's very coachable. Everything I read about him uh, with this transfer in mind, and, you know, grain of salt there, there's probably some spin, just talks about how important he is for the Italian national team, how, like, every player looks to him when they're on the pitch, when they're not quite sure what to do, how good he is at relaying information and processing information in the moment. That all feels like an Arteta player to me. I think he gives them another option, another look in midfield. He gives them depth at a time that they need it. And so in that way, I think he makes them better. I do not relish the opportunity to watch Granite Xhaka and uh, Jorginho together in a midfield partnership. That doesn't seem like it's going to be the most... Uh, quick, quick moving, high tempo sort of midfield combo. But I think for the most part, I think it's a pretty smart deal by Arsenal. The the additional context to this transfer, and Taylor, you 
called him a Arteta player, and I think I think that's key because it makes this transfer makes a bit more sense if you remember back to when Jorginho was at Napoli and Manchester City were desperate to sign him. In fact, there was a point when it seemed like he was certain to go there and then Chelsea nipped in. And I remember it being reported at the time that Guardiola was absolutely gutted that City weren't able to get that deal. In fact, there was a, it, there was a little bit of a flashpoint with his own uh, you know, sporting, uh, sporting director and, re- and recruitment department over that. And Arteta was obviously part of the City coaching staff at that time. So he probably has a, a better grasp on Jorginho's quality than most. My, my initial reaction to this deal was was just to think it was really weird and unexpected because, as you say, Taylor, he's not the same sort of midfielder as Moises Caicedo, um, certainly different in, in terms of his profile. But I would. I still think he gives Arsenal good depth in that number six position. They obviously need some depth for Thomas Partey, who's just been so crucial to them and how they the way they play this season. And they don't really have anyone who can step in for that for him. And they are different players. I would say Partey progresses the ball much more effectively. There's a good video that that, that Tifo did on how Jorginho will fit into the Arsenal team. That was one of the things they highlighted is the difference between how Thomas Partey progresses the ball and the way that Jorginho doesn't really do that. So they are not. They're not. He's not the perfect deputy for for um, Thomas Partey, but I, I would say against opponents who um, Arsenal are going to dominate with the ball and with possession, which at this point of their development under Arteta, they're increasingly able to do that. I think Jorginho is a useful player to have around. And, and the other thing I'll add to this is, I think I'm not sure if we mentioned that Jorginho was low on contract. I, I don't think we mentioned that it expires this summer. Certainly, so. For Chelsea, and I'm hesitant to give Chelsea much praise at the moment because I'm skeptical of a lot of the things that they've done, but having a player that's low on contract, you've already signed Enzo Fernandez, you've already signed, I believe, Andre Santos from Brazil, a central midfielder, a young player. You have uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who hasn't really been playing a lot, but you have other options here. And then Conte, who I think is dealing with a little bit of an injury, and then COVID. I mean, there are other players here getting you know several million dollars for Jorginho, a player who is probably going to leave for free in the summer does feel like smart move for Chelsea. I I'm, I don't believe this. I'd be surprised if any of us believe this. I don't think Jorginho is the difference between Chelsea finishing fifth or fourth, right? Like, I don't think he's going to get them into the Champions League on his own. I, at least I don't believe that. And for Arsenal, though, having a depth option in central midfield when Elneny has been dealing with an injury and, and you're pretty light outside of Thomas Partey in the number six spot. I know Jorginho is very different as a player, but I kind of like this move for everybody. Hmm. I'm just picturing Jorginho and Jacka on the field together. It's getting me all hot. It's going to be so oh, liquid, liquid <laughs> out there. Be best pals. Do you know who aren't best pals? Mark Cucurella and uh, Jorginho. Mark Cucurella, who didn't know that Jorginho had joined Arsenal, mid-interview was told that one of his teammates had, 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 had joined another team as he was talking about how intelligent and smart he was and how he was the most intelligent player in the Chelsea dressing room. He had to change his answer mid-interview. So well, yeah, Cucurella and Jorginho, maybe not the best of pals. I found that video really strange because I expected it to be... Like those videos when the player finds out they're suspended from the final because of yellow card accumulation and you can just see how gutted they are. Cucurella just seems sort of like, oh, there must be a translation issue here. I'm not quite understanding what you're saying. And it takes him, to my understanding in watching that video, like a minute to understand what they're saying. And then he is just sort of like, no, oh, okay. Like, I think he's kind of surprised by it. Mm. It reminds me, for some reason, we always reference Moneyball. But it's that, like, players, I guess, just expect to be sold or expect teammates to be sold. And that's the nature of the business. So, yeah, Jorginho is the best guy in the locker room. We love it. He's not here anymore. Oh, Mason Mount's the best guy in the locker room. Like, it's just really quickly pivoting and on to the next thing. If anything, it just reminded me, me highly paid mercenaries. Highly paid mercenaries. Yeah. Well, to be honest, Taylor, if if, uh, if Dave from Accounts left your office, would you be, like, on in tears on the floor about it? I mean... If you like Dave. I'm looking around my office real quick. Uh, that, that would be... Yeah, I think I'd be rolling around the floor. Why not? I mean, it would be odd... Uh, if anything, just that like another company came in, another podcast, Extra Time came in and poached him for a hundred million. I feel like that that would be kind of a strange thing. Uh, you're right; I probably wouldn't be rolling on the floor so much. Going back to Chelsea, though, Joe, you you made that point about like, does that get them into the Champions League spots? Does that make a difference? I will add, it seems like a lot of Chelsea spending is dependent upon all of this uh, quality that they have now signed coming in and getting them into the Champions League spots. I do think they need that. The financial hit that would happen if they don't make the Champions League might be a wrench thrown into the equipment that they did not see coming. I mean, they're what? They're like 10th right now, 9th in the table? I'm trying to find where they are. I think, yeah. Yeah, they're they're 10th. They're only, they're they're 10 (laughs) points back. 
they're ten points back. Taylor, do you really do you think Chelsea are going to make the Champions League this year? I'm not. I I don't think no, I know do. I don't, but I'm not Todd Bowley who's like that'll do it. You, so, you, so you think Todd Bowley thinks? And now we're we're like deep I in think the, that's what in the psychology. Yeah. Wow, no, he thinks in eight years' time, Joe, they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, right. This is all for 2031, right here. <laughs> there was an Onion headline a long time ago about George Steinbrenner and the New York Yankees, and it was uh, George George Steinbrenner <clears throat> si- signs a uh, 10 game winning streak to lucrative contract immediately inserts it into standings, and I feel like that's something Todd Bowley might try to do. Is like, can we literally just buy a few wins, that'll get us back in the Champions League places. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Ash Juventus, how they did that. Yeah, sounds very Italian, uh, <laughs> what you just described there. But uh, more on that later. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, much more from the window, actually. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Taylor, uh, yes. uh, to kick off this section, would you rather talk about a player who went from Manchester to Germany <laughs> or from Germany to Manchester? Uh, Samson, very well. Okay. Um, Marcel Samson goes from Bayern Munich uh, to Manchester United uh, alone with no buy option. It's like yeah. buying a Tesla on a lease or something. Um, obviously covering uh, Christian Eriksen, who got that lovely injury courtesy of Andy Carroll a few days back. From the moment I heard about this opportunity, said Marcel Sabitzer, I knew it was right for me. I'm a competitive player. I want to win and help the club achieve its aims this season. He's ready to one, run through walls, Taylor. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's ready for playing the soccer in the Manchester. I like the original draft of that press release, which is, from the moment my agent shopped me around Europe and got back a few positive answers, I then sorted through those answers and found the one that I most wanted to go with. And that was Manchester United, probably. Maybe it was Chelsea until Chelsea pulled out. Uh, But I I do think... It's smart business for Manchester United. I think it's really smart business for Sabitzer as well. A player that I thought might work at Bayern because of the connection to Nagelsmann. Uh, In some ways, he felt like Nagelsmann bringing his safety blanket with him when he moved from Leipzig to Bayern Munich. Uh, But he doesn't end up cracking that midfield. And I think it's understandable why when you look at the players they have there and have have had there and the kind of relationship they have, the chemistry they have, and then Musiala coming in, making that midfield when he's playing in the midfield even stronger. I just think Sabitzer was uh, on the outside looking in. But is still a very good player. I think he can carry the ball forward as needed. I think he brings the physicality. I think he brings the effort and a desire to prove himself after that move to Bayern doesn't work. And the short-termness of this loan means that he either goes back to Bayern uh, with sort of like no longer a point to prove, but a point proven if it goes well. But it also puts him in the shop window for Bayern Munich a bit more because it seems like Manchester United will need him and will give him opportunities. Yeah. And so in that way, I think it makes a ton of sense for Bayern. And I think it makes sense for Manchester United to get a player with all those things I mentioned who seems to have some connection to Eric Ten Hag and, and a desire to, to play in that system. And I think he'll get those opportunities. I think he'll get those minutes. I think it ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah, we spoke about this yesterday. I can't remember if the, if this was on the show or in our just general chat, Taylor, but it is a smart sign and it says to me that United just have a better grasp on the profile of their own team yeah. these days and what players do in, in, in their system, what each individual role is. And and it reminds me of the Amazon documentary series about Man City and, and one of the few interesting bits of that show, it's not particularly interesting, but one of the few interesting scenes is they show a recruitment meeting and City are going through every player in, in their squad and they're coming up with a contingency and succession plan for every single player. And they're asking, what if this guy gets injured? Who would replace him? Who could come up from the academy? Is there players that we could target as short-term or long-term solutions? What if this guy runs down his contract, etc., etc.? And I think that's the mark of a well-run front office. And that's not something we've associated, associated with my United no. of late, but it very much seems like they had some level of 
similar planning where Ericsson gets injured and they already have an idea of who they could go for because it went very quickly from Eric Ten Hag in the press conference yesterday saying, yeah, Christian Eriksen is out until the end of April to all of a sudden Manchester United are move, moving for Marcel Sabitzer. And similar to Jorginho and Thomas Partey, they're, it's not, it's, they're not the same player. There are differences in how they play the game. I'd say Eriksen is much more creative in terms of how he use, uses the ball. But in theory, Sabitzer should be a good fit for this United team and for uh, Eric Ten Hag's, Ten Hag's system. So I, I, I like it quite a bit. Graham said basically everything I was going to say. I want to I dive in a little deeper, though, into the differences between Eriksen and Sabitzer because I'm guessing a lot of folks haven't watched quite as much of Marcel Sabitzer as they have of Christian Eriksen. Uh, Graham, I think you're spot on. Eriksen is a little bit more of a playmaker and he's going to thread more through balls forward. Sabitzer is still going to go box to box. He's still going to get forward. He's a guy, though, I think that's going to get on the end of more moves than he's probably going to create. So according to FB Ref in the last year, he's been in the 91st percentile among midfielders, among central midfielders in non-penalty expected goals. He's in the 78th percentile in terms of non-penalty goals. So he's getting forward. He's getting into good spots and he's finishing off attacks. So he is going to get you nice moves. He's going to help you cap off moves in the final third. And then he can also pass the ball forward. He can also drive through uh, teams with with the ball at his feet. So he is a very well-rounded player. You go and you look at that FB ref scouting report chart, and it is a whole lot of green. Like, he does a lot of stuff well. Taylor, to your point earlier, there's a, a reason why we didn't see him at Bayern, because they have a bunch of other talented players. But for Manchester United, who don't have a squad as good as Bayern Munich right now, Sabitzer is absolutely a player that you can plug and play. He's ready to go. And and to be honest, I think in a lot of ways, he is an upgrade over Christian Eriksen. They're different players, but at this point in their respective careers, I think Sabitzer is probably the player you really want getting you closer and closer to uh, to your chase of the Champions League spot. So, yeah, I love this move for Manchester United. I think it's a really smart one, and hopefully that gives folks a, a little bit of a clearer picture of who Marcel Sabitzer is. Yeah, I, and I think I, I I was I was waiting for the perspective, Joe. Thank you uh, for that. Although I I think not that you are negative, but I think you are the reality check sometimes. And I was nervous to see if that was going to be like I don't know, I don't know if this is going to work. No, I love it. Uh, I love this move. <laughs> and and I do think like you're right. There are differences in their game. I don't think he will necessarily hit the ground running and be that difference maker that like pushes United onto like a title challenge or anything like that. But I think we're talking about shades of gray, depth, areas of improvement, and just smart business. And I think all of those things are not things that we've seen from Manchester United in seasons past. For me, like th- I think if it had been the same ownership, the same sort of operational policy, it would have been them probably in a similar position to Chelsea. You're like trying to outbid Chelsea for Enzo Fernandez, and then that falls through last minute, and then there's like a cheeky bid for Moses Caicedo that doesn't happen, and then it's a, a panic buy of somebody who's not quite as good for like twice the transfer value, if they had done anything at all. And so this to my mind, makes the team maybe not like night and day better, but it improves them in certain areas of the pitch and I think does make them better overall for a lot less money and for a short-term deal that allows them more flexibility in the summer where they could make that a permanent deal if they wanted to, but it also gives them just a little bit more maneuverability. All of these things are not words that I had come to expect when it came to the Manchester United front office. So uh, good business across the board for me. In, in past times, East School would have signed for mine yes, as a free there agent it is. yesterday. Thank That's you. That's what would have happened, mm-hmm. and that would have been bad. That is exactly <laughs> as much what as I do like East School. Not a good fit. No. Yeah, they would have re-signed Renan Malfalco yesterday again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. on that note, Taylor, does that make you feel a bit more confident and happy about what's happening at Manchester United? Do you feel like this season, after not having a radar on this ship for many seasons, mm-hmm. do you feel like? You have a rudder now. Yeah, I mean, I I do. I think that rudder is Eric Ten Hag, and I think he's done a a really good job of getting the team on board the way he wants them to play, and I think there's always going to be growing pains with that. But I think the way he has navigated certain tricky situations, Ronaldo chief among them, but even Jadon Sancho and, and the and the kind of personal uh, issues he's had that uh, like giving him the time off, giving him the opportunity to kind of get back into the form he needs to be. I believe he is back with the squad today for their second leg of their 
uh, League Cup. I still forget whatever sponsor it is this time around. Uh, but I, I think he'll be back with the team. And so in that way, I think he's managed the team really well. I think he's given them a structure and an identity. And I think he has also done a good job or the club has done a good job of bringing in people who seem to fit that identity, who make the team better. And you watch when they score goals in those big moments and the way the team celebrates. I've always loved watching the way teams celebrate to see who jumps on who, who's most excited to celebrate with who. And the number of players going into the crowd and just being up for it it's just a night and day difference in energy. And so I think in that way, it's a team that seems to be pulling in the same collective direction, not a thing we've said about them very often, very recently. In, in terms of the transfers and the transfer targets, Taylor, do you think these are Ten Hag players? Do you think he's actively kind of dictating who the club is going for? I mean, is Marcel Sabitzer his idea yesterday to, to go for him? And I, I presume there'll be some form of analysis. You know, they'll be able to pull out a dossier. Here's the work we've, we've, we've done on, on Sabitzer and they'll, they'll, there will be that, that background information. But in terms of deciding what players the club is actually going for, Ten Hag, it feels like his fingerprints are across a lot of things. Yeah. At the very least, I think back to Sunderland Till I Die, which is not a great example of how to conduct transfer policies, but they, they call Jack Ross, the then manager, a couple times to go over, like, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this value? And I think he does add in there, like, do not pay this much money for Will Grigg. It is not worth it. And it was <laughs> not worth it. Uh, and I would assume it's something along those lines where he has a connection to the player. Maybe he is part of pitching the club to Sabitzer and getting him on board such that they can get him in that private jet to Manchester in time for the deal to go down. But my assumption would be there are plans in place, hopefully contingency plans, as you talked about, Graham, for for all the players or at least a few of the players, and then they can make decisions pretty quickly. They can go to him and make sure that he is on board, that he likes that player, that he doesn't have any objections to it. But I would assume that he is a part of forming that that sort of short list of players as needed because it doesn't really make sense to do all that work and then have the the manager say, nah, no thanks at 11.59. Never forget that Zlatan was on Sunderland's board. He was on their whiteboard as a contingency <laughs> plan in that documentary. Never forget that, everyone. <laughs> I thought you meant he was sitting round yeah. the, the board, oh, yeah. oh, no. room table. As they were deciding, Will Gregg, they went, right, Jack, what are you thinking? Okay, Sunderland owner, what do you think? Okay, Zlatan, what's your opinion on Will Gregg and you should we pay, pay this much for him? <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, why don't we move on to a move that also went between Manchester and Germany. Jao Cancelo going to Bayern Munich, Joe. Um, this one is an interesting one. It seems to have come from Jao Cancelo not seeing eye to eye with Pep Guardiola for at least a little while due to his um, lack of um, guaranteed first team action. Uh, and he's got a new home in Bavaria. It kind of... I feel like this one also kind of worked for everyone, maybe less for City than for the other two parties involved here. But I think generally speaking, after the dominoes fell, this one kind of works for everyone. So for Bayern Munich, they get a really good player, a fullback that's a different profile than any of the other fullbacks they have. He's not Alfonso Davies. Davies is going to get forward on the left side. He's not Benjamin Pavard on the right side. Pavard's going to stay a little bit deeper and be a third center back at times. Cancelo is like another playmaker. He's going to get forward. He's going to use both feet really is exceptional at finding gaps in the attack and, and getting forward and rotating centrally and getting high and doing all of those different things. He's going to help Bayern Munich. I think their Champions League odds got better with this move. And, and for Jao Cancelo, he clearly wanted to go somewhere else. Now, I don't think the path to immediate playing time is all that much more clear in in Munich than it was in Manchester for him, but I, I'm assuming he'll be happy with the change of scene. And then for Manchester City... It did seem like having Jao Cancelo in the locker room at this point, based off of what the initial reporting was around this move, was getting to be more trouble than it's worth. I think losing Cancelo is an issue for them, and I, I think it makes them a worse team. Losing that left-back depth. I mean, they've lost Zinchenko and Cancelo now in relatively short order, and now you're looking at Nathan Ake really being the guy on the left side, and he's a capable player, scored uh, last week against Arsenal, can do a lot of good things, but he's not Jao Cancelo. He's a very different kind of player, and City are now a little bit thinner in the fullback spots than they were before. So that's a little bit of a problem, but given, I mean, it was it was Cancelo being angry about being not in the starting lineup three games in a row. It was Cancelo not paying attention in tactical meetings, according to report, according to reports. It's difficult to sustain having someone like that in the locker room. City are probably a team that could do that if anybody could, but all things considered, for this move, I think it kind of makes sense for everyone. City, probably the least happy, though, of all three parties. 
Taylor, do you agree with that? Do you think he makes Bayern stronger for the next 1-1 draw? Because that's all they do now. <laughs> uh, I think he absolutely makes Bayern stronger. I think, like, I I may be incorrect in this one because I'm going off of memory here. But in my mind, before Dest signed to Barcelona, he is seems very likely to go to Bayern Munich. And that, for me, is one of my great, like, what-if moments when it comes to USMNT player because it does seem like him and Alfonso Davies on either side would be pretty pretty exciting, but he goes to Barcelona. And in my mind, from that point on, it is sort of a makeshift, who are we going to try it right back? And they bring in some players who aren't of the quality, and that is a big reason why um, uh, Hansi Flick ends up leaving and, and why other managers before him are frustrated by the acquisitions and how they don't really strengthen the team. You have Pavard there, but there's questions of if he is better as a center back. They, they've tried other other players in that spot, and I just don't think that they've had the guaranteed starter that they were looking for and and so I think to have a player like Jao Cancelo who by all accounts when he is happy is lights out world class and when he's unhappy he is a problem but he is often unhappy when he's not being played so if you're putting him in a situation where he is going to start most games it seems like you're going to get that best world class player and I think he does elevate the Bayern Munich team it's a really interesting uh, study in what I think Chelsea are going to have to deal with because it just sounds like when you have a ton of players, all of whom want to play, all of whom are capable of playing, some of whom maybe catch form to the detriment of others, how quickly the atmosphere can change. I, I read some of those reports that Joe mentioned, and it does just sound like it got to the point because it was this prolonged period of he starts some games, then he's out, then he's not in form, he comes back from the World Cup, and he's frustrated by his lack of usage in the knockout rounds, and that influences his behavior. Uh, I think Juan Malilo, uh, Guardiola's former assistant, was big in in sort of calming him down, knew how to talk to him, knew how to get the best out of him. Lilo now gone from the club, and so it just seems like it was this slow deterioration that then escalates into a rapid, uh, like acrimonious situation where City just felt like they had to pull the trigger, get him out the door, so that they can keep harmony such as it is. So I think for City, it probably makes them worse in terms of their overall talent, but at sure. the same time, maybe makes them better because the locker room is just slightly more harmonious. You do have a little bit more, uh, I guess, clarity in who is starting and who is playing where. For Bayern, you get a player who is desperate to play, who is likely to play, who I think when he plays is very, very good and can do many different things. I picture him moving centrally on occasion to partner Joshua Kimmich and pushing on Goretzka or Musiala or Thomas Muller, whoever it may be. I just think it gives Bayern Munich a lot of different looks that Julian Nagelsmann is going to relish. And Taylor, you mentioned that how you know it's good for the locker room at Man City. I can imagine it's good for the locker room at Arsenal as well. When they're looking at that title race and they look at Man City's business um, this season, or maybe this, this window particularly, is it um, Maxima Perona they brought in from um, from Argentina, but not strengthened in the way that rivals have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think there is that idea that maybe this is Pep we know can be temperamental on occasion. Uh, Graham, what's your theory about him, all or nothing? Yeah, only deals in extremes. Yeah. Everything is either perfect or terrible. Yeah, and so maybe <laughs> this... May, exactly. <laughs> I am dying. I am going to live to be 150 years old. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and so maybe there's an idea that this makes Pep back into the everything is perfect, we are the squad that will win everything, and, and I think when you have that belief from Pep Guardiola, it's going to filter down. So... There's that intangible aspect of maybe it makes them better because there's more like commonality of belief. But I think at the same time, yeah, it doesn't make them stronger on the pitch. They held on to Kyle Walker. If they had lost him, that would have felt like something was wrong. Uh, so it it does seem like maybe this is City kind of throwing in the towel to keep things afloat for now. And then they will strengthen in the summer uh, to a strong degree. I, I actually think Arsenal's presence right now is an important factor in this transfer because... If City are the dominant force at the top of the Premier League, as they normally are, maybe the thinking is, well, we can kind of ride this out a little bit and get Cancelo back on side by the time we get to the end of the season. But it's it's coming into the, the last few days of the January transfer window. They are, what, five points behind Arsenal at the moment, who also have a game in hand. And so there is that risk that if they miss that opportunity to offload him, then in a sort of Cristiano Ronaldo way, he becomes this sort of malignant presence on the dressing room and just around the, the training ground in general, even if they push him down to the reserves or the youth team. So I do think Arsenal being as strong as they have been this season, as I say, is a, is a factor in why this deal gets done. All right. Um, 
why don't we in this section also discuss Tottenham Hotspur, whose manager Antonio Conte, by the way, uh, is having surgery to have his gallbladder removed. It's a unfortunate situation for Conte. We're not sure how long he's going to be off the sidelines, but um, all the best to him. Hey, Graham. Yeah, I mean, it's still not as painful as watching Matt Doherty try and play right wing back in this mm. system this season. He's off to Atletico Madrid now, which that has to be the weirdest transfer of the whole window because just just say, just say that back to yourself. Matt Doherty now plays for Atletico Madrid. It's like James sure. Corden being in a Tarantino film or something. It just It just doesn't feel right. But also Spurs terminated... Matt Doherty's contract because it was initially meant to be a loan but then they realised they couldn't loan out any more players because they're at the threshold of eight and this is actually a new UEFA rule for this window you're only allowed to loan out eight players so Spurs in talks with Atletico Madrid to loan him there then realised they can't actually loan him out there so they just terminated his contract that was a player who still had 18 months left on his current deal they just did that to get him out the door and I presume to get Pedro Porro in the door just absolute madness that a Premier League club would work in that way but there is a lot of upside with uh, with Pedro Porro the signing that Spurs did make on yeah. transfer deadline day much like the Enzo Fernandez deal that was a, that was a transfer that seemed likely to get done early in the window but dragged on and on and on all the way to deadline day in the end it's a loan deal until the end of the season and then Spurs have an obligation to buy him for 45 million euros um, Conte won't care about any of the small print of that deal because all he cares about is that he finally has a right wing back who can give him something a little bit different and arguably something that he hasn't had during his whole time as as, as Spurs manager. And I, I was reading a Jack Pitt Brook uh, piece on The Athletic about what Porro will, will bring to Spurs. And in that piece, and Jack obviously being the beat writer for Spurs for The Athletic, he'll know more about this than I, but he questions whether this is the most important signing that Spurs have made in years. And... It's certainly the most important signing they've made under Conte because of all the political aspects and how it really shows that Spurs are are bending to Conte's demand. He wanted a right wing back. He specifically wanted Porro. They went out and got him. I'm not sure I would go as far as saying it's the most important signing in in years, but it does tell you how desperate they were for a right wing back who gets forwards, gets crosses into the box and basically gives Spurs someone to funnel attacks through on that right side. And that is just so crucial to Conte's approach. We saw it enter with... uh, uh, Hakimi, Spurs don't have anyone at that level. I wouldn't say Poro is at that level either, but in terms of his profile, there is there is overlap there. So the idea, I think, is that Poro will make everyone in that Spurs team better. It'll make all areas of that Spurs team operate better. It'll give the defence an out ball. It'll help with the, the midfield being outnumbered as well if he's playing as a right wing back. Um, it will give a better supply line to Harry Kane in particular, who is essentially had nothing to work with from the right side for the last 12 months. So I think it does have the potential to be a really significant signing for Spurs. Good stuff. Sporting Lisbon, by the way, getting 45 million euros for uh, offering Spurs their pee-pee, is how I'm going to phrase that one. Um, Do we think Man City... I'm going to skip right past that. Do we think Man City gets some of that? (laughs) Because Poro was at Man City, right? Yeah, he does. So they do, yeah. All right, so so there's a world in which they should have just kept Pedro Porro and then they would have had their Jao Cancelo replacement right away. But I guess it ends up working out for Spurs uh, and for, for sporting as well. So good business across the board, I guess? Sure. Terminating <laughs> contracts, moving people around, paying Premier League rivals. All good. Yeah. All good. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, a roundup of the other deals that have happened, including plenty at Nottingham Forest. Hmm. Uh, we're going to look at which clubs uh, have won the window because, of course, we are back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. So the Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, why don't we turn our attention, as we typically do, Joseph Lowry, to Nottingham Forest, uh, they who are only slightly less ridiculous in the transfer market than Chelsea, arguably. But uh, Kayla Navas joining Nottingham Forest uh, from PSG. John Shelby also joining. And Felipe from Atletico Madrid. Lots happening uh, in Robin Hood's backyard, Joe. Nottingham Forest feel like a, a team that, you know, you turn on the garbage disposal and sometimes it just it won't turn off. Like Nottingham Forest have turned on the transfer switch and they just cannot figure out <laughs> how to possibly turn it off. I... I like these moves. I mean, again, it feels like Nottingham Forest are playing FIFA. If I'm playing FIFA and I'm Nottingham Forest, I feel like these are reasonable moves to make when you've made 87 moves in the last transfer window. And I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to affect squad chemistry and all that stuff. But Kaylor Navas, to pick one of those three, is a phenomenal goalkeeper. And I think a lot of teams would have been a lot better off for having signed him. So in that way, wasn't really playing at PSG. Getting him into this team is absolutely a good thing for Forest. It's a loan. Last time I looked, at least before we started recording um, and, and doing my prep for this, you know, there's there's not really a baked-in option to get him to stay in England or anything like that. But as far as a, a short-term signing goes, getting a really good player into your club, onto the field, in between the sticks, only feels like a good thing for Forrest. We'll see if the rest of these signings pay off, but I do like that move in particular. I'm so confused by Nottingham Forest and everything they're doing, because... Some of their moves feel like, oh, we know we're going to be a Premier League club for the next five years, so we can go about signing young players and established players. Then there's some signings in there, Shelby and Chriswood among them, that feel like we're in a relegation scrap and we just need like qu- like that level of quality that can get us through that. Uh, it- it's just an odd—this like, window was, what, Danilo, the 21-year-old from Palmeiras in Brazil— Felipe from Atletico Madrid, he's 33. Gustavo Scarpa from Palmeiras, he's 28. John Joe Shelby, Chris Wood, and then Kaylor Navas on loan. Uh, in there are like Atleti and PSG and then Newcastle, but then Palmeiras twice. <laughs> it's, it's just a weird amount of business they are doing. Uh, Graham, we talked about this yesterday, I believe, about will they be a team. On the McKinney to Leeds show, we talked about will Nottingham Force be in that relegation battle. I don't know if these players keep them out of that battle. I don't know if they keep them in that battle. It could really go either way. But Dean Henderson and Kaylor Navas at Nottingham Forest is not what I expected when uh, the, the w- <laughs> window opened in the summer. I mean, Killer Navas and John Joe Shelby are now teammates. What has happened <laughs> over the last few months? And and the weird thing about Forrest's transfers, like individually, there's a lot to like about a lot of the players that they've signed. But before this window, I thought, oh, Nottingham Forest have finally found an approach. Steve Steve Cooper is, is kind of finding a team that works together. And I wouldn't have had them anywhere near the relegation zone. They then make a load of these, these signings, which, as I say, individually are pretty decent. And now I'm thinking there's the risk that they get pulled back into it just because Steve Cooper doesn't know what to do with them. And there, and there, there is, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of strategy behind them because as you say, Taylor, there's a couple guys from Brazil there where it's like, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be a sexy team. Mm-hmm. But also Chris Wood is joining <laughs> us from Newcastle United. It's, it's a weird, weird, weird team. Got- it just, it goes back to like, if you told me Kaylor Navas and John Joe Shelby are teammates, I'd be like, oh, so Newcastle went for Kaylor Navas, like they, they found quality <laughs> at PSG, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, why not? I would not expect both of them to be at Nottingham Forest. What I think happened with Navas, Taylor, is um, it was Tuesday and they were like, oh, we're playing Man United again. Now, keeper can't play against his parent club in this important semi-final we've got tomorrow night. Anyone could get? Uh, Kaylor Navas, let's try and get him. On loan, sure, yeah. That will cover our, our constantly uh, cup-tied keeper. 
<laughs> I mean, that, that that will do that. I hope he plays. That makes me even more excited to watch this game. Uh, but, like, it's also just sort of a bummer, I think, for me as a, a mild Kaylor Navas fan that for so long he's linked with moves to clubs where he is going to start and be a key performer and finally get to be that Champions League-level goalkeeper for a team that's in the Champions League. I didn't think when he finally got the move it would be to Nottingham Forest. And again, it sounds like I am uh, disrespecting them, and perhaps I am. It's just, it's not quite the move that I would have expected for him it feels a little bit again similar to the McKinney conversation of moving from Juve to Leeds and now you're in a re- relegation scrap theoretically yeah, it is indeed the Premier League Super League uh, it's another example of that for sure what what the Forest are actually doing is they're assembling all the goalkeepers that were meant to succeed David De Gea at Manchester mm-hmm. United so it'll be Sergio Romero coming in there soon as well Martin Dubravka from Newcastle United <laughs> yeah it's like the worst possible Avengers, you Anders, can imagine. Anders Lindergaard is going to get some minutes there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah. Did I see Dubravka join City? I didn't see that one happen until pretty recent as well. The, we, what, we Martin need... Dubravka joined, joined Man City? I think did he, he did. Yeah, lo- he, joined... he was at Man United for the first half of the yeah. season, so he's just collecting Manchester clubs now. <laughs> so he's catching them all. He's catching them all. There's so many moves. That is the weird one of the transfer window is when moves happen that are – like there's just so many crazy ones that you don't notice it. For example, I, I messaged you all this yesterday – Seeing Daley Blint on the bench for Bayern Munich and being like, wait, wait, what happened now? When did that go through? Didn't know that that had happened. Yeah. There are those moves that just sort of come out of nowhere and you don't notice until it's like March when there's a player playing for a club that you didn't realize he transferred there in the first place. The, the reason I missed Dubravka going to City is because you're right, Graham, he didn't. He went to United and I missed that as well. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Madness. Madness all round. I follow the soccer's, I promise you. Why don't we talk about Isco, who's not going to the Berlin disco, Graham? <sighs> Yeah, I really wanted to see this happen just because someone like Isco at a club like Union Berlin would have felt straight out of the Matt Doherty to Atletico Madrid simulation. Uh, I'm not convinced it would have gone all that well, given that Isco can barely run at the moment. I watched him a bit for Sevilla in the first half of this season. That did not go well and look Sevilla as a bit of a dumpster fire of a club right now. Maybe that was a factor, but it does kind of feel like Isco's in sort of the Gareth Bale downwards spiral to retirement where maybe he's got one more club in him and I think he might retire quite early but nonetheless I I still wanted to see him at Union Berlin just because that would have felt very weird and like a glitch in the matrix indeed Uh, how about Weston McKinney going to Leeds and having Tyler Adams giving big hugs in press conferences Joe that's fun isn't it yeah, the part I love most about that move is all the content potential that's there. We talked all about this on on the Patreon show on TSS Plus. So go subscribe, patreon.com slash Total Soccer. So, so Total Soccer Show. There it is. That's the URL. We talked all about that. So for. I'm not I'm not going to dive any further into it here. But I, I, I do love the Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney bromance that we've already been treated to. And hopefully it will continue for many, many years to come. I enjoy, like, whenever we're not sure that a move has happened, there were a few moves in the document, I think, uh, because Graham uh, filled out the document and then seven hours ahead was like, I will check back in with this in the morning. So I would just Google and see if the deal was officially done. And I like you Google Enzo Fernandez, you get all of the details of the deal. There's a few others like that. You Google Isco. The first thing that pops up, Real Madrid legend Isco has very competitive sex life with gorgeous wag. Uh, so that is sort of where he <laughs> is right now. Probably not what was necessarily the plan at this time yesterday. I did also appreciate uh, Union Berlin getting a little bit trolled by RB Leipzig for not having Isco in their starting 11. Uh, I think uh, on Twitter they released their starting 11. Uh, uh, RB, Leip- or, yeah, RB Leipzig responded, Isco question mark, to which Union responded, tradition question mark, which I thought was a nice little <laughs> a nice little burn. It's good work Ooh. by Union. Uh, good work there in the Bundesliga. Social media managers going mm. at it. I like it. <laughs> the thing is, though, they're all sitting in the same office together yeah. in New York. <laughs> <laughs> that creative agency is having quite a time today, Chris. <laughs> it's the same person just writing all the different accounts, burning burning themselves over and over <laughs> and over again. Uh, Taylor, we mentioned, I believe, on Monday's show that Matthew Hoppy has to live in Middlesbrough. He no longer has to do that. Hey, uh, that, that's a positive sign. He's moved yeah. further north. Uh, again, we get to the, the the burglaries, the break-ins of Southerners moving north. Graham, how do you feel about this one? Is, it, is Matthew Hoppy going to be in your development sometime soon? It's Hibernian, by the way, if you were going to mention the club name there. Mm, yeah, he's moved to Hibernian. Yeah, after watching Matthew Hoppy against Serbia and Colombia, my overwhelming thought was, this is a player I want to lo- watch loads more of in the second half of the season, and my wish came true yesterday when he joined 
Hibernian. I, um, I think Hibs fans are still scarred by the memory of Chris Mueller playing for them, um, which didn't go particularly well. And look, the standard is lower in Scotland. There will be games where Hoppy's pace is enough to make him a threat, but I'm not holding my breath for Matthew Hoppy being a superstar for Hibs. But I will say, as much as Edinburgh is Scotland's second city, it is a lot nicer than Middlesbrough, so he'll he'll enjoy that at least. Well, and there is a beach. Well, you said second city there. We? There, there is a beach, it. Graham, confirmed. There is a beach. Edinburgh has a very nice beach. Portobello Beach is See? one of the best beaches in Scotland. Yeah, so uh, adhering to our theory that Matthew Hoppy is destined to become a beach soccer, or Joe's theory that Matthew Hoppy is destined to become a beach soccer player, maybe this is just next on, on that career trajectory. Graham sent a picture to, uh, on our group chat to, of this Edinburgh beach, which had glorious sunshine. Like, what filter did they use for that? <laughs> you get sunshine in Scotland, it's just also freezing cold at the same time. See, this is like Scandinavia. This is my question. How long can you be at the beach, Graham? Like, because I do picture like you sort of like it's warm enough. You run into the water, and within like twelve hours, it's winter again, and you have to run back out. I thought you meant me personally, so I get bored of beaches very easily. Like twenty minutes later, I'm oh, okay. I'm done. Do you all, so if do you all no, hear the dodging if, of the question? Do you hear the dodging? If there's of the no question? warmth at all, like in most <laughs> Scottish beaches, then yeah, I don't know if I'm even lasting two minutes rather than twenty minutes. Also, yeah. also Taylor, did you suggest that we should be at the beach for twelve hour intervals? I'm, you said go into the water, and then twelve hours later you come out of the. Oh, water. I just mean like I, I, I picture a Scottish beach has a like. 12-hour window I of like, see. yeah, it's warm enough. We've got 12 hours. Oh, no, winter coats. Winter coats back on. It's, it's winter again. <laughs> it's dark at 3 p.m. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Good beach chat. Any other deals we want to talk about that happened? Um, Ziek did not go to Paris. Yeah. Right, Greg? Yeah, clearly the fax machine that scuppered De Gea's move to Real Madrid all those years ago is now at Stamford Bridge uh, because the reports I've read are that PSG are furious with Chelsea because they filed the wrong paperwork and then missed the deadline to get this deal done. Um, PSG appealed to the French League. That appeal was rejected. Hakim Ziyech will be a Chelsea player until the end of the season. I'm not three sure, times. given how many attackers Chelsea have signed, if he's going to get any game time at all. They did it three times, from my reading. That feels to me like a self-sabotage. They were trying not to sign him. But I think Ziyech had used his own money to fly to Paris to be there for the medical and is now sort of stranded there. It does not seem like a very good situation for him. Maybe Chelsea can cancel his contract and then he can go sign for Everton, who did not have a good window themselves. He's stranded in Paris? I mean, yeah, that was the reporting. I'm sure he can find his way back if he needs to. It's literally a train. I mean, London's an hour from Paris (laughs) on the train. Stranded. (laughs) How on earth is he going to get out of that one? We shall find out. Uh, Finally for this episode, Jets, um, who did the best and worst business of the window? Um, I think in terms of worst, Taylor, surely we have to point to the club who have been in a bit of disarray lately uh, in Liverpool. And not Liverpool, the other one, Everton. Yes, uh, although Liverpool didn't have that great of a window themselves either. Uh, but Everton, I think, really set the mark for how to have a bad window. Uh, they, they lose out on Pedro Porro. That deal gets hijacked. Uh, they lose Anthony Gordon, period. Uh, sell him to Newcastle. Uh, he forces that move through. But to have uh, Amadou Onana also sitting out training, uh, at least for a couple days, and that's a player who they signed in the summer. That's not even a player who's been there long enough to be over it and frustrated by it. To have him already sort of feeling like this isn't going to be good for him in six months is probably not where Everton wanted to be. And Mm. this is an Everton team that I think had a net spend of plus like 25 million, I think, as in they made 25 million. But to be in a relegation zone, to not bring in any players in January and have the squad, it seems like, pretty discontent across the board without maybe the quality you would need to fight your way out. I mean, put it this way, like Nottingham Forest have problems to figure out for sure, and they've got to figure out how to get everybody like sort of happy and harmonious as much as they can. And amortized. But I I would still rather have that situation, even with the amortization, I would rather have that situation because at least there's an intent to fight. We're bringing in people to keep that squad competitive, to keep us in a position we're in. I don't see how you see the situation in Everton as anything other than the board didn't get the business done and now they're content to be in that relegation see, scrap. 
See, the thing is, given their recent transfer record, I actually think no signings for Everton is maybe the best possible outcome for their <laughs> January because in recent years, transfer windows have essentially been someone going, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. And now they, they're not hitting themselves. So yeah, good window for Everton, there, in, in my opinion. I hear you, Graham. There is an MLS club who shall remain nameless, who it does seem like is the one that everybody knows. Like we can offer them something stupid and they will take it. Uh, and in that regard, Everton also seemed like one where it's like, do you guys want this? midfielder who we're paying too much money for and we don't actually want but no you can't have him he's really important and then Everton sign him for a lot of money or on pretty high wages and it does not work out I, I hear you Graham maybe no business gives them some solidity that said the the banners of protest around the training facility tell me that maybe the fans won't buy into that narrative so much indeed well Sean Dyche is on board hey so they got that I, mean, I usually like that appointment. Yeah, I think that'll yeah, work, work out well. Taylor and Graham were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I good. mean, it's better that's than... Oh, well, I think we agreed in our um, big thing last week, game. It was a better option than Bielsa, particularly at this stage. Weirdly, even though B- I wouldn't say Daesh is a better coach than Bielsa, but just the circumstances, exactly. yeah, I think Daesh is... is and, I mean, and the club as well, the identity of Everton, I think is a better fit. Yeah, like, uh, sorry, Joe. I was just going to say, like, the, they, they spent a lot of money not too, too long ago on uh, Michael Keane. I guess it was a, a few seasons ago at this point. Is, is Michael Keane still with Everton before I make this argument? I hope he is. Uh, I think so. Okay. <laughs> the fact I'm not sure yeah. tells you something. Well, uh, they signed him for a decent amount of money from Burnley. They bring in James Tarkovsky this season from Burnley. At the very least, there's some familiarity there with Sean Dyche, and I think he is just going to be okay with... The Deitch system of the four four two, everybody behind the ball, only concede low percentage shooting opportunities from angles where the goalkeeper has clear lines of sight and is able to make saves. And I think we'll see Everton become, theoretically at least, I think the goal is really difficult to break down and then pretty effective on the counter. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if they have the personnel to do that. But I do think Sean Deitch is at the very least an appointment that makes sense for the moment. It's not bringing in an aspirational manager who wants to play expansive football and then not backing them in the transfer window yeah. at all. James Tarkovsky, Dwight Neal and Michael Keane yeah. were waiting for Daesh on, on his first day at training. They said, we've got a present for you. Big bag of worms. <laughs> I just, I picture them. It's the, uh, like the do, 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 do. And they're running in slow motion towards each other. And then it just <laughs> devolves into a fist fight because Burnley gonna Burnley. <laughs> yeah, that's how they show affection. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I don't think a bag of worms would work, Graham. You want to like forage for your own worms if you're Sean Dutch, right? It's just part of the process. Sean, Sean Deitch was, doesn't want to be fed worms. He wants to hunt worms. <laughs> exactly. Again, Jurassic Park, always useful. He wants to be fed them. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Joe, finally, um, who do we think did the best business of the window? Or do we have any candidates for that title? Dundee United, I think, pretty clearly snagging oh. one of those. Oh. College oh. <laughs> no. So what I was hoping was going to happen is that Ryan was going to team me up for the worst I, I know I knew that we already talked about Everton, but I was hoping that we were going around the horn on that one. And that's where I was going to toss Dundee United. Listeners, I want you all to know how devastated Graham genuinely is. Send him a nice uh, tweet. So send guys. him a nice something. Uh, stop breaking into homes nearby, whoever whoever's doing that. Uh, <laughs> Dundee United have recalled Kai Fotheringham from Sterling Albion. So he is no longer there. Graham, I saw your tweet about this. Legitimately, all of those postponed games that happened because the fields were not yeah. in good shape or, or whatever it was. Now, coming back to really bite Sterling Albion here ahead of the next chunk of the season, it, it hurts, right? That one, that one really, really mm. stings. Um, and so I am legitimately sorry for you on that one. Oh, thanks, Joe. Yeah, it was really nice of Dundee United to recall him just after midnight on deadline day, meaning we had no time to even try to sign a replacement. Yeah, that, that, that was great stuff. Big fan of that from Dundee United. Graham was, Graham was in fact, <sighs> not a big fan of that. That was sarcasm from Graham. Yeah. He really yeah, hates the that. Opposite. The, the team that I actually think had the best window... Uh, and I think this is just like the answer to this question is Bayern Munich. They get Daily Blind, really good fullback depth. They get uh, Sabitzer on loan to, to continue maybe to find value for him. They sign Conrad Leimer on a free deal. He'll join up next window. And then they get Jan Sommer from Gladbach. They get Yalkinsello. I mean, these are, are legitimately good moves for them that strengthen them, that pretty much lock in the league title. Although I said on Monday, there is a title race there, and so it's not fully done. There's a number of teams within a few points of Bayern Munich. But again, strengthening this team for the Champions League run, I think it's massive. And I think Bayern had a really, really good window. That's a great shout. And obviously, German teams traditionally don't participate very heavily in the January window. Uh, but of course, 
they've done it well. Yeah, of yeah. course they have. Taylor, any uh, do you you on board with that one? Any other nominations? I think that's a really great one. I hadn't thought about that one. I think Joe is probably dead on. Um, I think Newcastle getting Anthony Gordon. Uh, I, th- I think mm. that continues their like sort of plan of signing smart players that fit the system that maybe aren't going to be like the Enzo Fernandez headline generators, but I think will make that team better. I think they did some smart stuff. And moving on, John Joe Shelby, Chris Wood, uh, I think it's also a sign of where they are, like the direction they're heading in. I really think Arsenal as well. Uh, like the, the the negotiations break down for the like the first choice players both times uh, or they're beaten for a Mudrick by Chelsea, but I think they end up getting two very good, very proven uh, deputies in the form of Trossard and uh, Jorginho, and I think that does make the team better. It doesn't make them better maybe long-term in the way they want it to be, but I think in the short term, they bring in players that Trossard is a good example, is already contributing to that Arsenal team and playing well and looking sharp. I think Jorginho will do the same, so I think Arsenal had a pretty smart January as well. Excellent. Graham, tell us it's Chelsea who won the window. Do it. Chaos, do it. <laughs> I think we should just all accept that Brighton had the best transfer window. I mean, I mean, I know nothing about the players that they signed. Uh, Facundo, we'll Bonanote, <laughs> Jamie Mullins, Yasin Ayari and Mark O. Mahomey. Wow, that is Mahoney. That's a difficult one to say. Uh, but all those guys are basically guaranteed to be superstars and then join Chelsea for £80, mil- 80 million pounds in the next 18 months. So yeah, I think we should just all accept that Brighton had the best transfer window. There we go. That's the correct answer. We've nailed it thank you very much graham ruthven a pleasure as always to have you on the total soccer show podcast as if i'm inviting you as my guest and not your equal peer <laughs> thank you ryan bailey <laughs> joe lowry pleasure as always sir i don't think you're garbage or whatever that mean twitter person said oh we can no we can be useful garbage together just just useful, useful. garbage yeah that's right that's All right. right that's right indeed and taylor rockwell thank you as always sir for your contributions and your king peach scarf which never fails to catch my eye uh, my pleasure, my friend. Unless we forget, the entire plot of Wally is about useful garbage, I believe. So, uh, Joe, you're you're the Wally of Total Soccer Show, and I mean that in in high high praise. Means a lot, mm. really does. Doc, I mean, Doc Brown's DeLorean is also powered by useful garbage in at least the second mm. and third movie. <laughs> One man's garbage is another man's potpourri. <laughs> That's a quote from The Grinch. There it is. There it is, folks. On that Are we note, over an hour? It feels like we're over an yep. hour at this yeah, point. Yeah, that's time now. Thank you very much, Lister, for joining us in this song. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye! <laughs> <laughs>